Good morning. Good morning. I want you to imagine in the middle of a field and it's pouring down rain. If I were to just snap my finger and you were there right now in the middle of a muddy field and it's raining on top of you, what's, what are you going to feel? What's that going to be like? Is that going to be delicious and wonderful and comfortable? Now, I want you to imagine I snap my finger and you're in that same open field, it's pouring torrential downpour on your shoulders, but then you look down at your feet and there's this treasure box sticking out and inside of the treasure, inside of the treasure box is all the treasures of the world and you have a shovel next to you and no one else is around. Let me ask you this, how are you gonna feel right then? You'll be worried about the rain? You'll be worried about the mud on your shoes? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's walking in the field and he stumbles upon treasure. Then what does he do? He goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. We've been talking about real peace. Real peace, shalom that, that Jesus is giving is this type of peace. It's not the peace that says, you know what? You really want the rain to go away. So I'm gonna send the rain away to give you peace. No, it's, I'm gonna give you something even better. I'm gonna give you the most valuable thing in the universe and you have it. Freely, you have it. So that no matter how much rain is on your shoulders, you don't care because you've been given my peace, the real type of peace. I wanna show you the verse on the screen, which is where we're gonna be at, John 14. Kind of the theme verse of our series Right today, we've worked our way and we're gonna see verse 27 of chapter 14 of John. And it says this. This is Jesus saying to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I give to you not as the world gives to you do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace, the Hebrew word shalom, the, 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 the lack of, of conflict, the, the chaos, things that are disordered have been brought together and there's order. And what do we look into our world and see? We see a lack of what? Do we see shalom? Do we see peace? No. Conflict going on right now. We pray for it. Why? It's a good question. Conflict going on uh, uh, amongst uh, every scenario of life we could ever be in. Is there some type of conflict whether it's between our boss and employee, whether it's at work, whether it's in our own very homes, whether it's in our marriages between our kids, with our extended family, right? With people who vote differently than us. Conflict constantly. How are you going to solve this? Don't we want peace? Jesus is trying very hard in John chapter four to, to help his disciples see and by extension, all of his disciples throughout all time. Like, listen, I am giving you my peace. And when Jesus says my peace, you look at his life to understand how, how impactful the peace that he had was. A human being in every way like us suffered in every way that we do, yet without sin. One who was able to not lose his cool in any situation. One who had utter joy despite the situation and he is in in so much union and had so much love to the Father that the scripture says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
taking upon himself our shame, willingly did it. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own will. Why? Because that's what God wants us in. God wants it. I'm going to do it freely. And that's a joyous thing. There's nothing more, nothing more valuable to me than what the father would have for me. And so anything that I experience in life is worth going through for him. Jesus says, this peace I leave with you. That's what he means. I'm going away physically. I will not leave you. We've belabored that point. So as Jesus, I will not leave you as orphans. You are going to have my peace. You'll see on the screen, Jesus has given us his peace. So the question is this that we're all asking. Because when we experience life, the question is, so why am I lacking that peace if he's given it? Anybody ever thought that? Anybody read through a scripture like this and you see like such a, such a promise and such a setup and it seems so obvious of what God is doing for his children, yet our experience is, I don't have that. Why? Ever been there? I'm going to answer it right off the bat. This is a little bit different. I'm starting right off the bat with the answer. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the sermon proving that. Okay, so this is a sit back, listen, a very important kind of paramount lesson that needs to sink into our heart. A singular truth that needs to be the center of our focus throughout our minutes, hours, weeks, and years. Why am I lacking peace? The type of peace that Jesus is saying he's leaving. Look on the screens. In order for peace to grow, your understanding and love for Jesus must grow. And that's not a cliche Sunday school answer. Jesus is doing everything he can to help his disciples. Hey, I've given your peace. It's right here. But do you know what it's contingent on? Do you, do, you, do, you know, do you know that this peace that I give you cannot grow independently of your love for me? If your love for me goes down and your understanding and your growth in me goes down, guess what also goes down? Your peace. In order for the peace to fill the place in your life it's lacking, that place in your life has to be filled with Jesus first. Now this is gonna stay on the screen. Let's look at the passage. Let's work through it, okay? And a little bit later, I'm gonna actually give us some inhibitors to peace. I'm gonna talk about what might be getting in the way of us loving and understanding Jesus, therefore taking our peace away. John 14, walk through me, starting in verse 25. Verse 25, Jesus says this, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. 
I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Didn't we just sing that? But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. You see that very last statement, rise, let us go from here. This is signifying that Jesus is culminating a thought. He's culminating this conversation that he's been having with the disciples since the beginning of chapter 14. He's been in the upper room. He's washed their feet. He's talked about the Lord's Supper. He's, he's told them my blood and my body. He's told them that Judas is going to portray. They don't know it's Judas. He says that Peter's going to deny. And what happened at the very beginning of John chapter 14 that we've been saying ever since then up to this now, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is saying, stop. It's not like a, like a comfort. He's saying there, stop letting your hearts be troubled. You are lacking peace right now and there's no reason to. And then he spends, if you go read through John 14, Jesus is doing this like collective figure eight back and forth effort to help his disciples see you have every reason to rejoice right now. I'm going, yes, I am physically leaving you, but let me exhaust why that's such a good thing and why it's so awesome and why you should be rejoicing. But up to this point, they're still filled with trouble, lack of peace, conflict, disorder, and sadness. Actually, verse chapter 16 says, sorrow has filled their hearts. Now, by the way, they're human, imperfect, so are us, But Jesus is legitimately trying to help us see the very thing that he's left and the very thing that we need right now to be able to go through life with real peace, despite the rain on our shoulders. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, I'm speaking things to you now face to face with my mouth because I'm still with you, but only for a little while I'm gonna die soon. Again, reiterating that he's not gonna be there much longer after that. But, verse 26, that's a good transition, but here's what I want you to know. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said. Right here you see in this moment, it's like Jesus knows that he's dropped a bomb on them. He knows that, okay, I'm leaving. And then what are some of the other bombs that he dropped? I'm, I'm leaving and I will come to you, but, but not in a way that the world will be able to see. It'll be different than anything you've ever experienced. Uh, I'm telling you about this Holy Spirit who's gonna be in you and with you. And then I've dropped this bomb where I've re- been repetitive talking about if you love me, if anyone loves me, if anyone doesn't love me, that, that love And commandments go together. They're not mutually exclusive. If you love me, you will keep my word. You will keep my commandments. The one who keeps my commandments and loves me, he it is who loves me. And immediately as the disciples in general hear Jesus saying these things, what fills our heart? How do I know if I love you? Which is why we need the promises and the assurance that we do love him and the promises of being a child of God. And, and Jesus has already, with his mouth, specifically told these 11 disciples, not Judas, these 11, you are my children. You are my children. You are clean. I've made you clean. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans because you are my children. I don't leave my children. But then we're gonna see in this passage that we're in that they 
are manifesting a lack of love for Jesus. Doesn't make them stop being children, but what it does do is it starts to cause them to forfeit peace. You know, peace that we're all desperately wanting and clamoring for isn't just like a, it's not like a wand that hits us as soon as we start believing in Jesus. It's something that grows with our understanding and our love for Jesus. And you know what Jesus is trying to do in this passage? He's trying to give them reasons to love him, to see how much he loves them, but also give them understanding, things that will awaken in their mind and give them understanding of what's really going on around them. So he says, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. I know you need him. I know left alone, you would not be able to figure these things out on your own. You know, right now you have the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And already the Father loves you because that's what Jesus said before. We will come and make our home with him. God has made his home with you and we will love you. You'll be loved by my father. The father loves you. And then you have the Holy Spirit, which is God himself, which is Jesus himself inside of you. Though he's not beside you, he's inside of you. So now your, your heart and your mind is awakened to truth that before only caused question marks. Which, by the way, when we get saved, we still have a lot of question marks, right? God knows that, wants it that way, because he now wants this life of growing and digging and learning and experience to come along. And it will. The Holy Spirit has been given to you to teach you all things and to bring remembrance all things. Right now, the disciples... Struggling to understand this. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, they looked like completely different people. Like from children to adults. They looked like Jesus walking around teaching. Sounded like him. So then verse 27, he says this. Peace I leave with you. This is the theme verse. My peace I give to you. And then look at this. Not as the world gives do I give to you? This is very important. How might the world, everything outside of Jesus, try to help give you peace? What are we supposed to think of this? How are we supposed to understand this? How does the world try to give it? Well, one, let me, what is the world? Who is the world? What is the world? It's the, the evil, unbelieving world system that exists outside of God's truth. It's every thought motive and thinking and system within the world that tries to operate and get to a place of happiness apart from Jesus Christ. And guess what? It's all lies and it's all false and it'll never lead to true happiness. So when you live in planet earth, your heart, the commercials you see, the movies we watch, the shows we indulge in, everything is trying to solve this problem of I have no peace and no joy. And here's what'll do it. Here's what will do it, right? If I just have enough money, if I get the right house, if I get the right job, marry the right person, do the thing that I want to do, wake up every day doing what I want to do. At the end of the day, that's the core of what's brewing inside each and every one of you. I do what I do because I want what I want. And what we do is always based off what we want. Inside of each and every one of us, there is this overwhelming 
passion for something that's calling our name and telling us this will make you happy if you have this or do this or avoid this. And the scripture says that right there that, that brews and wrestles in the heart of every single person is what is called waging war against your soul. It's what will cause you to fight for things to get peace and when you get it, you don't have it. And then you fight even harder because something must have been wrong and you get it, you don't have it. And it leaves this gaping existential hole in every single person and the fruit that comes out of that person is anger and frustration and clamoring and selfishness all because I need to get what I want. Jesus comes along and he's trying to expose that the first and greatest commandment is what? The first and greatest commandment is centered right there at the root in the heart of that very thing that exists in every single one of us. What do you want? Guess what? The first and greatest commandment, more important than all the other ones, that actually will bring all the other ones along with them is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because that is going to affect every aspect of your life. A lack of wanting God, loving God is gonna bring in a want for something else. And something else other than God is not going to satisfy you. This is the, this is the gospel truth. This is what God is trying to invade us with from the moment we saw with our eyes and the fruit on the tree with E and it looked good and it was pleasing to the eyes. I want it. So she took and ate and gave to her husband and he ate. It was the moment mankind started this decline of wanting the wrong things and there's pursuit for these passions other than God has caused the world we live in now. Where people will fight and kill, and oppress, and take advantage of, and abuse one another. Because deep down in the heart of these wicked hearts we all have is something we want, something we love, other than God. Remember the point I made at the beginning? Your lack of peace is related to your lack of love and understanding of Jesus. My peace I give to you. I'm giving it to you, but I'm not giving it to you as the world gives. Guess what? The world, you know how the world's gonna give it to you? The world's gonna say, hey, in order for you to be happy and not miserable standing in this field with mud all over your feet being rained on, it's for the mud to get off your feet and the rain to go away. Jesus says, nah, that's not what my peace does. My peace centers in at what really the problem is. The problem is what's going on and brewing in your heart. I wanna come and eradicate that. I wanna give you my peace in the middle of your heart so that no matter what comes along your way, you'll be filled with joy. You may still, you are gonna experience pain, suffering, sadness, all of these things and experiences in the body of suffering. And guess what? Me, Jesus, who lived like you, I'm able to sympathize with you because I suffered in every way like you, yet without sin. I wanna give this to you. It is available. It's not some pie in the sky thing that you just sing about and you hope for and it's the right answer to the test. It's available to you. So what's holding it back? What's holding it back? Which is why he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I've given you everything you need for peace and everything that's happening right now, disciples, me leaving is a good thing. I'm trying to tell you that, show you that. Look what he says in verse 28. This is where it turns and it gets very personal and this is where it's gonna get real personal for us. 
Jesus said for the multiple times and now for the final time, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And then verse 28, he says this, you heard me say to you, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come again. You, you heard me say that and look what he says here. If you loved me, what would you have done? You would have rejoiced. But the fruit that came out of you is nothing. I can see it in your hearts is decreasing and more and more pity and sorrow. Why? Why would Jesus give them such good news? But why would sorrow then fill their hearts? If they have every reason to rejoice, Jesus isn't being cruel. He isn't expecting them to, to like get over it. He, he isn't like, like, come on, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, he's legitimately trying to help them see. Like, listen, the reason you're so sorrowful right now is because you're short-sighted and thinking only about yourself. I just told you that none of the things that you're afraid of are gonna happen to you, they're gonna happen to me. I'm the one gonna be betrayed. I'm gonna be denied. I'm gonna be scourged and crucified on a cross. I'm going to die on your behalf. And I've told you, I'm going back to where I came from. The one you've walked with is going back to the Father and the Father is greater than me. We'll get to that here in a second. You should be rejoicing, but instead, you're sorrowful. Implying what? All they could think about was what this meant for them and their expectations. Because at the center of their heart, what was brewing? Was it an ultimate love for Jesus? As long as I have him, I have everything. No, it was this expectation of this awesome, wonderful military Israeli kingdom led by the Messiah himself who would destroy all the enemies of God and make the world the place of peace once and for all. Their expectation, their hearts had led them. Their hearts had said, want this and you'll have peace. Want this and you'll be happy. Fight for this, hold out for this, put your energy and effort, your money, your time, everything into this and you'll be happy. You'll have peace and then Jesus comes and says, no, it's not gonna happen. And then all of a sudden, all of that comes crumbling down in their heart because now they're faced standing at the mirror seeing that the whole thing that they've been expecting is now crumbling, revealing what? Their lack of love for Jesus over and above that because Jesus said, if you loved me, if you loved me, you'd have rejoiced when I told you all these things. But as it stands, short-sighted. It's like I've been walking with you for three years and I've given you like $20. And I just told you in three days, you're gonna have a million dollars. And all you can think about is you don't have $20 in your hands for three days. Like, like this, this matchbox car that you've been holding, saying this, like this little Mustang matchbox car is awesome. And I'm saying in three days, I'm going to give you the real Mustang. And you're like crying because you're losing the little matchbox car. It's like the kid who's in the back seat. And mom and dad are decided to, 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 to use the time and the money to take the kids out who don't deserve it to an awesome restaurant. And as soon as you start going that way and you're excited, you know, there's one kid in the back is like, oh, I don't want to go here. All right, we're going home. Wet blanketing the whole situation. Now, but do you see the care and the love for Jesus though in this moment? He's, he's revealing, he has said up to this point, 
those who keep my commandments, those are the ones who love me. And then he turns around and he tells his disciples, you're lacking love. Man, that would have stung, but it's not to be condemning or to hurt them. He's trying to help them see the reason you're unable to rejoice now is because your affection, your love was set on something else. And I've just revealed to you that that thing that you wanted, it isn't coming true. You're not gonna have it. And so sorrows filled their heart. But Jesus is so kind and compassionate because he goes, listen, I know. I know. That's why I trust the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm gonna send him in my name, on my behalf. He's gonna continue what you have felt and known with me. He's gonna continue it in your heart. And so God, Jesus is showing much patience and love. But there is a lesson to learn here. A lesson we must learn. A lesson that speaks at the heart and the pinnacle and the summit of the gospel for every human being. He said, if you love me, you would rejoice because I'm going to the Father and the Father's greater than I. This passage means this. Jesus isn't saying God is God and I'm not. He's greater than me because he's God and I'm not. He's saying he's greater than me in rank. He is the one that I've been obedient to and submissive to up to this point. And I'm going to be with him. Do you understand what that means? You don't even have to understand what it means. Just know it's awesome. It's almost like Jesus is like, it's almost like he's personally hurt by them. It's like, man, I've just told you that all I'm gonna go through on your behalf and you're only thinking about what this means for you. You're not thinking about what it means for me. Verse 29, and now I've told you before it takes place so that when it does, you may believe. Right, so, so gracious, so kind, knowing that this is going to, it, it's gonna awaken in their mind, they're gonna see it. And he's, he's patient enough to not just sit there and try to force them to get on the right page, but knows that it needs to give it a little bit of time. They're gonna see. You can see as well. You don't have to be stuck in this place where God's peace is this ethereal thing that you have no idea how to get and you clamor for and you don't get it. If you're willing to look at your heart like Jesus is wanting his disciples to, and, and by the way, chapter 15 is gonna be this overemphasis of how much you need Jesus. He's pounding it into the disciples, all of the disciples' head. Everything you need is found in me. You must abide in me. You must love me. I must be the center, the summit of your life. And the moment that I fall off and something else gets there, you don't even have to take my word for it. Just experience life with something other than Jesus on the throne of your heart and see what happens. Told you this so that you'll know that when it takes place, another thing proving that he's the, he's the Messiah, that he was able to, to, to say the things that were gonna happen before they happened. Look what he says next. Verse 30, reinforcing he's leaving. I will no longer much talk with you for the ruler of this world is coming. The devil is coming in a few hours. He's already indwelt Judas and then he's going to use his plan that he's been trying to do from the very beginning and that's destroy the Messiah. Either destroy it through the bloodline, through Israel, or destroy the Messiah himself. He's gonna get what he's wanting, but look at these next statement that is awesome. He has no claim on me. 
And the death that Jesus died on the cross is the blow that destroyed the enemy once and for all. He has already defeated, church. Already defeated. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is nothing he can do about rebellious mankind that hears the gospel and believes. They will immediately be brought out of the kingdom and powers of darkness and walking in marvelous light with God. Nothing he can do about it, which is why he spends so much time trying to keep your ears and your eyes and your thoughts from it because he knows that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the closer your heart starts to get to it, the harder things will get in your life because it's the best thing for you. And the enemy wants to keep you in damnation. And in lack of peace for God's children. I don't want you to experience the real peace that can exist right now here and, here and now for you. Because that means if you have peace, then you'll be light. And that means more people will come into the fold. So if I can attack God's people any way I can, it's to keep them riddled with lies and confusion. To keep them short-sighted. Not thinking about the bigger picture. Keep them in pity and sorrow. Filling their hearts. Thinking about the gas prices and who's president and what's going on on this side of the world, thinking about all these short-sighted things, unable to see. Didn't I tell you? Didn't I tell you there'd be wars and rumors of war? Didn't I tell you that? Matthew 24. Church, I love you. I think our hearts all agree that this is the message we need. I need it. Sick and tired of things trying to take place in my heart other than Jesus. He knows that and he's very gracious and kind with us and patient with us. Verse 31, we're about to wrap up, so bear with me. Verse 31, Jesus says, but I do as the Father has commanded me. When was the last time we heard commands in John chapter 14? When he's talking about those who love him, keep his commands. He keeps repeating it. Those who love him, keep his commands. Those who love him, keep his commands. Now, what is Jesus? He's like bringing this home to show like the, like the example you need is in me. But I do as the Father commanded me, so what? So that the world may know that I love the Father. And boom, he brings it home to help us see that just like in the heart of Jesus, his love for the Father was most important. Our love for Jesus must be most important. Because he loved God, he obeyed God perfectly. Scripture tells us that he was obedient. Obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, made lower than the angels, leaving his abode in heaven and coming down from onto earth and willingly obeyed the father's plan. The father said, I want to save mankind and I must slaughter you to do it, my son. You must die. Just like I showed Abraham long ago in Genesis chapter two and I said, you go sacrifice your son of promise, Isaac. And I stopped him because I wasn't going to make him do that. But that's a foreshadow of what I would do for the world. I must kill you in order to save them. And Jesus said, I love you so much. Whatever you want, I'll do it. And you look at the life of Jesus, obedient to the point of death, even a very shameful, cursed, embarrassing, naked before everyone being made of, fun of, spit on, and horrendously, horrendously dying in agonizing pain, death, obedient all the way up to the last breath when he said, it is finished, and he died. Why would Jesus do this? Because he was motivated by his love 
for his father. What would change in your life if the affection and the intimacy in your heart was placed on Jesus and not whatever else is there? What would change? I guarantee you this, it would bring fruit out of your life, the fruits of the spirit once and for all. And by the way, the first fruit of the spirit is what? Love. Then what? Then what? Peace. Our lack of peace, the real peace, can be traced back to in our heart a lack of understanding and love for Jesus. So here's what I want to finish with. I don't have it on the screen. I want to talk about really quick some things that may be holding you back from that because I don't want to just leave you with this and say, go figure it out. Things that the scriptures talk about. What might be holding me back and what, what am I saying holding me back from? This love, this intimate, affectionate love, center of my heart for Jesus that he is trying to show me in his example of the love to the Father and in turn causing me to lack peace. First this, it may be my lack of love for Jesus because of self-centeredness. An example, immediate example is the disciples. They're only thinking about what this means for them. It may be because we're just ignorant to what real love is. We still need to grow in our understanding. We just, we don't quite know it yet. That could be because we've never experienced it. So I don't know it, I'm ignorant of it, right? And I just need to grow in my understanding of what real love is. 1 Corinthians 13 shows me what real love is. So I go and I read 1 Corinthians 13 to guess what? To get the understanding my heart and mind needs and then I soak it into the fiber of my soul and I let the Holy Spirit work with that knowledge who is in me. But it may be we're ignorant to it because of this other reason that could be true is because we've never experienced it. We're told in scripture that the only way we love is because he first loved us. So it could be because we've never experienced his love so we don't have the experience of it so we can't give it back. If that's you, you need to spend some time thinking about God's rich mercy on your behalf and what he did for you on the cross. You look to Jesus on the cross and his life and you'll understand love because he laid down his life for you even though you didn't deserve it. That's at the heart of real love. It may be because, and this is, this is the one that should step on our toes because let's just be honest about the world we live in. It may be because of lawlessness, wickedness, We're told in Matthew 24, Jesus said this, that as time goes on, wars and rumors and wars, that lawlessness will increase in the land. And what's the result of that? The love of many will grow cold. Does that describe your heart? Can you be like, man, I just feel like there's just an apathetic, cold love to Jesus where there once was, it's not there anymore. A great indication of that is is a a knee-deep entrenchment in lawlessness, wickedness, however that might be manifested in your life, surrounded by it and then giving into it. That needs to be some repentance and turning away from some things. Those things are causing your heart to grow. It could be this, an actual love in your heart other than the world. We're actually told in 1 John, you cannot love the world and God because in the love of the world, if you love the world, I love it. I, love, I want to be loved by the world. I want to love the world. I want to be like the world. I want to be accepted by the world. All of those things that come along with it, the promise is, guarantee the love of the Father is not in you. Three more, and then I'm going to pray. 
it could be that love's lacking in your life because a passion for righteousness has taken the place where a love for God should be. Now, this is the one I think maybe strikes home to us the most in the church because the example of this was a church. The Ephesus church, Revelation 2, 4, Jesus is writing to the church and says, hey man, like dude, you're doing everything right on paper. You're like taking that stand and you're standing up against evil. You're, you're like writing all the Facebook posts. You're not letting, you're keeping evil at bay and you're putting the hammer of justice down and he says, I know your labor that you haven't given up. But he says, I have this against you. What's more problematic? What's actually worse than you being good at that is this, you've left your first love. You've left me. In your heart, I can look at your heart and see, it's motivated by this passion for righteousness over and above and beyond the first and greatest commandment, which is to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says that's not acceptable. Priorities, love me. And he says, fix it. Return to the works you did at first. Love me or I'm gonna come and remove your lampstand. Remove your witness. You're, you're more effective for me by loving me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength than you are doing everything right on paper and speaking out against all the evil politicians. That's one way it manifests itself in our passion today for righteousness in the church. It could be that we're lacking it because fear resides where love should. You might get filled with fear. You sense that God is against you. Judgment, perfect love, cast out fear, grow in love. And it may be, again, because we've never experienced his love in the first place. So we're unable to give it. Peter said this, concluding verse. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter writing said, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be both glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Church conclusion this, real peace has been left with us, but real peace will only grow as our understanding and love for Jesus as it grows. And if you're lacking it in your life, take time this week, today, don't waste time, get alone with Jesus and let him start shining light on the center and the altar of your heart. What is there that you want more than him? That right there is the cause for the lack of peace. You put Jesus there, you start loving him, you start fighting to not let anything else there and that will take care of everything else because love covers a multitude of sins. And we're told that love The whole law of God hangs on that. You figure this out and you figure out why Jesus said faith, hope, and love and the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, you know the burden of my heart where I want this to be true in my life as well as for my brothers and sisters and why it's, so, why it's so burdensome and hard, but also a wonderful privilege to open up these passages and only have so much time to speak. Take your word and work in our heart through the power, power of your Holy Spirit. We trust you to do the work that we can't. And God, our prayer is this, and we ask it in your name, knowing that you want this. Help us to make the greatest commandment in each and every one of our hearts to be true, to love you 
love you more than anything. God, be the treasure at our feet that doesn't even notice the rain pouring on our shoulders. We need you to do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.